Keeping it real on cliffcentral.com. Pan-African Connect on cliffcentral.com. Welcome to the show. My name is Rosie Mutena, a.k.a. the Afro-Yiddish Princess. And welcome to another show called Pan-African Connect, where we connect to all four corners of our beautiful continent. My name is Rosie Mutten, as I said, and I'd like to wish all my people from my clan, Kaksameya, to you. Hope you had a wonderful, wonderful yontiv and that, and that the year ahead will be sweet and beautiful. Going back to the show for today, we, we're moving to the country of Liberia. I'm going to speak to you, to a phenomenal woman by the name of Patrice Jua who is a, a Mandela Wo- uh, Washington fellow. She's an entrepreneur. She's a, a poet. She's a media expert. She uses her, her fame and her fortune to, to, to bring about good within the country, not only with empowering young girls through reading, um, through just basic skills, but also was very instrumental in, in, in helping and, and promoting Liberia, especially during the, the, the terrible Ebola crisis that happened. And we, we know how bad that was and how, and how difficult it must be for a country to to basically start from scratch and, and, and pick themselves up after such a terrible epidemic. So after the break, we're going to be going into those different things. And of course, if you want to call me, my number is 0861-555-189. We're all on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, either at cliffcentral.com or Rosie Mutena or Princess RTM. That is my Twitter handle. But before we get into today's lineup, we've got to start it like as always. And here we go. Yeah, uh-huh, you know what it is. Black and Jewish, black and Jewish, black and Jewish. Yeah, uh-huh, you know what it is. Black and Jewish, black and Jewish, black and Jewish. Yeah, uh-huh, you know what it is. My nose and ass, they're both big. Yeah, uh-huh, swimming for the hater. Sipping old E at my Passover Seder. Repping for my parents when you see me, you know everything.
start every show with black and Jewish. My name is Rosie Mutena, a.k.a. the Afro-Yiddish Princess. Welcome to another show called Pan-African Connect, where we chat to people from all around our beautiful continent, finding out what they're doing, what's happening in different countries, and how we can create an even closer synergy between the different nations. Today, we're moving to Liberia, and I'm going to be chatting to a lady by the name of Patrice Joa. She's a 2014 Mandela Washington, Washington Fellow. She's an entrepreneur, a poet, media professional, activist for girls' education, and she was former Miss Liberia. She lives to empower women. And on top of that, she's also the owner and creative director of MOI, an ethnic fashion, textile, and accessory business based in Monrovia. Mademoiselle Patrice Joa, how are you? I'm doing great, Rosie. I'm very excited to be on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's only a pleasure, finally. I mean, we, 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 we first connected, I think, about five years ago, and we've been trying to get something together and trying to create some synergy. So I'm glad it's finally happened. Although you, although I still want to create it when I'm other in Liberia where you're in South Africa, but at least we, we, we've got this connection. Yes. We've got the ball rolling. <laughs> Yes, yeah, that's really good. That's why these connections are, they're really necessary. I, you know, we partner up and do things to keep the continent going. Yeah. Let's, let's, keep, let's take it back. And keep the African spirit alive. Yeah. yeah. But now you've done so much and, and, I, and I mean, the, the content and looking at your CV is just absolutely amazing. And I hope we can get through it all today. But let's let's start at the beginning um, or rather from when I, when I first met you. I mean, you were Miss Liberia. What year was that? Hello. Well, it was a great, it was a great year. It was a wonderful uh, experience for me. I, I went from being a college student to, I was not so new college student to uh, a public figure, and that mm-hmm. was a great platform for me to uh, amplify my voice around issues impacting young women and girls in Nigeria. Yeah. Let's what 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 let's go back to what was the state of of the girl child in Liberia, and then later on the show we're going to talk about how things have developed or or what your challenges have been over the last ten years. But in terms of 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 the safety and 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 the state of the African girl or the girl child in Liberia, where was it where when 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 you became Miss Liberia? When I won the pageant, it was a difficult uh, period for mm-hmm. us in Liberia. Um, just coming out of war, yeah. uh, we had just uh, voted into office uh, our first female president mm-hmm. uh, and the first African female head of state in history. So it was a difficult time because the previous era, young women had encountered or had endured a lot of you know violence during the Civil War. Yeah. So when Madam, Madam Sterling took over, we had to change a lot of things. So when I won the pageant, um, the government had garnered a negative reputation during the previous government because uh, young women were objectified. Whenever they entered the pageant, they were, you know, objectified and uh, they weren't empowered sufficiently. Yeah. So when I won the pageant, I had a lot of work to do to change that image. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why I, constantly, uh, I, I base my focus on initiatives around girls' education to sort of change that mentality that you can be a beautiful young woman, you can be a beauty queen, but you can still, you can still be an educated woman. You yeah. know, sort of change the image that you can be an empowered young woman and, you know, create a different picture of our girls so that they aspire to achieve bigger things and dream bigger. Yeah. Now, I mean, across Africa, we know it's a major problem in terms of of raising up the girl child, number one, empowerment of young girls and women. Uh, what were your challenges when, when, when you took to that platform? Because we know that when the minute you start talking about empowering a young girl or going against certain myths and misconceptions that have been put forward by our patriarchal government, we met with a lot of challenges. What were the world challenges that you were faced with? Well, when I was Miss Liberia, when I won the crown, it was a difficult period, like I stated earlier, uh, where people just, you know, saw me as another pretty face. Like yeah. you're just a little, you know, young girl and who is just going, you're just a Miss Liberia. And I had so much work to do where everybody wanted to have a piece of me. You know, you, you would go to an agency for for assistance and everybody wanted a piece of you and I had to really put my foot down mm. to say this is not the legacy that I want to, to leave behind for myself. This is just one year in my life, you know, and, and I'm going to have the rest of my life ahead of me as a, as a young woman and as a Liberian woman and mm. this is not the picture that I want to leave behind for other girls. So I have to really change that. I have to really work hard. And it still is a problem today where women, you know, the patriarchal culture across the continent is a problem, you know, for, for women. And particularly in Liberia, I know we, we've missed tribes with uh, female leadership across the continent, but we still have problems with women being seen as equals and mm-hmm. as partners. And and did that did, did that um, argument and that notion lead you into to you um, creating the movement sexy like a book because you know as much as as much as we we need to empower people and we need to instill that level of confidence it's all got to start with education. Yes, education in Liberia uh, it, it encouraged me to use uh, the sexy like a book platform which I started earlier this year. Mm-hmm. But Miss Education and Girls Education was my platform when I won the Miss Liberia pageant. Yeah. Uh, my mother was a teacher for 47 years. Mm-hmm. So um, I grew up in a family, a very simple and humble family that really valued education. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was because I grew up in, I was born in rural Liberia. And it was because my mother was educated that she was able to educate my older siblings. And then they were able to educate us. So I'm very passionate about educating girls in the rural community, and I'm very passionate about girls' education and empowering young women because when we do that, we we give them something to aspire to so that they don't only see themselves as objects, particularly in a community like ours that is a very vulnerable society, like, you know, poverty, the poverty rate is very high, and the illiteracy rate is very high. It's important that we have mentors and role models for young women to look up to. So that's why I really uh, um, engage in all of these initiatives. Yeah, because, I mean, at the end of the day, if you, if, you, if you educate a nation and you educate a young girl, irrespective of what life throws you, and when people are going to try and take things from you, they can never take away what's in your mind and what's in your heart. 
you know, so education and, and religion yeah. is incredibly, incredibly powerful. You mentioned about your mother, um, who was a teacher for many, many years. And I see that you, you started uh, the Martha Joie Educational Foundation in honor of your mom. Tell us about that. The Martha Joie Educational Foundation, yes. I launched it uh, in 2008. And the goal of uh, the foundation is to provide uh, innovative uh, educational mentorship and entrepreneurial opportunities uh, for young girls and young women in rural Liberia. So my mother spent her entire life teaching across rural Liberia. She did not come to Monrovia to teach, although she could have been sitting in the city, but she decided to to spend her lifetime teaching in those rural communities. Yeah. Uh, because they are vulnerable communities, most of the aid, you know, that we, when we get aid in the country, people always are focused on the capital. We're actually having a struggle here with decentralizing the government and all of the development that are going on. Mm. So our focus is to provide educational opportunities for girls in the rural areas. There's a scholarship fund where we we look for brilliant girls across the country and we provide uh, academic scholarships for them. Oh, fantastic. And, and, and what partners have you brought on board in terms of, in terms of providing the, 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 the education and the training and so forth? I didn't hear you. I'm saying, what, uh, what, what, who have you partnered with in, uh, in, with in terms of the foundation when it comes oh, to... Most of the time when we do all of these projects, we, when I started them, this project, I was really young when I started it. Mm. So most of the funding actually came from out of my pocket wow. initially. And then, yes, and then family members would chip in. But recently we've had uh, uh, a lot of uh, partners coming on board and and they're interested in working with us. We have Brand Woman Africa, that is uh, a Ghanaian organization that was founded by Anita. Yes, and and Skin from from Accra, Ghana. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah, so they are going to be funding some of our scholars this year. And we have another organization in the state that, that's going to be funding some of our scholars. Mm-hmm. And we have some well-meaning Liberians and Africans who are also uh, interested in working with us. So when I started it, I started it out of passion and wanting to, to give to the, the, to the community from which I came. And now, you know, people are beginning to see it and believe in it. And I'm very happy mm-hmm. that people want to work with us. Well, it's definitely, definitely grown, grown a lot of legs. Um, another thing which you've, which, which you, which you've done and you're very, very passionate about is your design. And you created a, a label by the name of Moi, um, which you said, uh, means talk in, in, am I pronouncing it right? In Kipele? It's called Pele. Yeah, Pele. Mm. Pele is the largest ethnic group in Liberia. And Moi is actually pronounced Moi. And okay. Moi is the short form of my Pele name. I'm from the Pele ethnic group. And it's the largest ethnic group in Liberia, and the name is Moi, and Moi means talk. So um, I created, I started a business in 2008 uh, out of the desire to promote uh, the Liberian uh, fashion scene and uh, promote our creative sector and uh, to brand our textile industry. Mm. So we, we are working on that. I've had the business for a while, but we're retooling. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the Ebola outbreak, businesses were greatly impacted, so we used that time to retool, and we're going to be focusing mainly with our rural, on our rural weavers, and working with them to bring our traditional ethnic cloth called the country cloth. 
So wow, want so, so you, actually, you started off branded. as you started off as just as, as a as a fashion label, and then basically moved in where you're going to be working with the rural weavers and artisans. And is that also just because of an empowerment program and and to uplift the rest of of of, of Liberia? Yes, I want. I wanted to be I, everything that I do. I want to have a purpose, and I wanted to impact the community mm. because most times, you know, fashion labels. People only, when you look at fashion, people are only focused on uh, the glitz and the glamour. But there are actually people behind the design. There are people behind the, the fabric, people who make the fabric. There are people who do the illustrations. There are people who do uh, um, the, the, the sewing. So it's, it's a whole process. And, and these are the people who, who, who need to be uh, celebrated. So, um, Liberia, we are very fashionable people. Mm-hmm. Liberians dress very well. and uh, Not very well. We, you we guys like dress incredibly like... classy. Incredibly classy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So, that, that's our goal to, to kind of brand our fabric. Thank you so much to brand it so that it competes with, uh, it is, you know, seen and recognized as, just as you have the Kinte of Ghana and the Ashoke of Nigeria, that you can also look at our cloth from Liberia and think about incorporating it into other designs internationally and across the continent. Mm. Now, with, with, with the rise of fashion, and, and we, I'm going to move into to, to the music and other things, but with the rise of fashion and, and the, the, almost the cross-pollination of different designers across Africa, have your designs or have, have Liberian um, um, cloth made it down to, to, say, for instance, South African fashion weeks and so forth? No, I don't think so. I'm, I'm not really sure. I haven't. That that is why I'm really passionate about it. You know, I I, I we showcased in 2000 and and um, 2013 was my brand was selected to represent Liberia at the Africa Fashion Reception in uh, France. Mm-hmm. Um, but we haven't really like in terms of creating synergies across the continent. We haven't really. Um, we, we Liberians are, are making headways with fashion across the world or with the, with the promotion of that particular fabric. I haven't seen, you know, the fabric in shows in Cape Town and other parts of the continent. Mm. So that's why we are passionate about so promoting the weavers, working with them, building the capacity and um, marketing and branding the cloth where we're able to use it all across the continent and even across the world. Yeah. Well, we need to get that. We need to get that cloth um, spread across Africa. Now, while you were talking, you you were saying that, and it wasn't just even Liberia. The whole of Africa stood still when with the outbreak of Ebola. And I'll never forget reading one of the posts that that you had put on other it was either Twitter or on Facebook, saying that you know Ebola does yeah. not define me as a Liberian. You know, um, tell us about some of the work that you did to create awareness about about. Liberia itself, but also about about Ebola and how you combated it. Well, during the, the Ebola outbreak, you know, it was really tough for us. It was it was a difficult period for us. It was something new, and we didn't know anything about it, and it just appeared on our shores. Mm. So those were really difficult times for us. During the outbreak, I used the time to write about the experience. I wrote a poem called The Ebola Ride, which featured on PBS.org in the U.S. And I also launched a campaign alongside other Liberian creatives and artists. Uh, it's called The Ebola Is Not My Identity Campaign, yeah. uh, where we were 
using that campaign to fight Ebola. We said fighting Ebola through culture and consciousness. The message we're trying to convey, we're trying to use creative works of art to project a different image of Liberia other than that, those images that were shown on the news wires at the time. Those, you know, during those days, you would turn on your TV and you would only see bodies in the streets. You only see, you know, all of the uh, containment centers. Um, but there was a different picture because, you know, Liberia is not about Ebola. And Ebola does not define us. We didn't create Ebola. Yeah. So as they were putting all of those images out there, we decided to use the Ebola is not my identity campaign to put, you know, to use the art, other things that were happening in the country, how artists were using that platform to channel other things and project a positive image of the country. Mm. So that was what we did. And I also traveled to Morocco and, and, and um, did several speaking engagements across the U.S. and even went to high schools across the U.S. where I was able to talk to young people about the disease. And even, you know, the entire continent was being stigmatized at the time. Mm. So we had to explain to them that West Africa was just a small portion of the continent and Liberia, Guinea, and Sierra Leone was just three tiny countries on the continent and that the entire continent was Ebola-free. Yeah. So there was no need for the stigma. There was a need for compassion and support at the time in that stigmatization. Mm. And in terms of when, 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 yeah. when the outbreak happened um, on the ground, how did, I mean, you must have galvanized support in terms of going and, and, and speaking about it, but what, was, what were the emotions of, of, of people that were on the ground and... and um, and, and, and trying to experience or trying to, to deal with what was happening in their country? It was really difficult for everybody. We had to wash our hands regularly. We, there were so many practices that we had to change because Liberians are very friendly people. We are very warm and hospitable people. Mm. And we're always hugging. You know, Africans generally, we are really warm people. So we're always hugging and shaking hands. And we had to change all of that. We had to stop shaking hands, we had to stop hugging each other, we had to um, wash our hands. Every room you entered, you would have to wash your hands with uh, chlorinated water. And uh, we, there were so many things that happened. You, a mother would be sitting there and the child would fall sick um, and they would suspect that it, it was Ebola and you wouldn't touch your child. And several other cultural practices were introduced, like cremation, mm. um, because when somebody died of the disease, you, you, you wouldn't bury the person, like go through the traditional barrier while you, you know, where you had to wash the body, bathe the body, and, you know, dress it up. You had to stay away from the body, and, 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 and the barrier team would, would come and, and cremate, take the body to the cremation, the crematorium, and have it cremated. Wow. So there were so many things that changed. A lot of relatives People could not see their relatives anymore, and it was a period of grief. That's how I was inspired to write the poem, Ebola Ride, because mm. it was like we were stuck on this ride, and we didn't know where we would stop. It was a non-stop ride, and, and we didn't we didn't know when it would end, yeah. you know, so it was yeah. a very tough time for us. But it was also a time where we noticed that communities were able, you know, in, term, in times of trouble and 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 and. and disaster, that's when true innovations are born. 
So we saw a lot of innovation. We saw a lot of initiative and, uh, you know, the spirit of volunteerism at the community level. We were able to really galvanize all of our resources and work as a, you know, as communities to mm-hmm. kick Ebola out of Liberia, along with the support of international partners. Yeah. But what, what also fascinated me, and, and you could probably shed a lot of light on this, is that you, because of the bodies, and you said that you couldn't, you couldn't follow the traditional rituals, especially if after somebody had passed on. How did you explain that to a, a typical rural community who believes and lives by those traditions and cultures every day? Was it a difficult task? It was really difficult. So um, they, they uh, during that period, uh, those of us who are doing awareness and those who are really at the forefront had to engage with the community leaders. Mm and explain to them that this is for your own good because it was difficult like explaining to you know other cultures like you know our our muslim friends that you you, you wouldn't you, you can't date the body and you can't do this with the body and all of our other you know traditional friends so uh that was a difficult time so we had to engage with uh, the the christian community youth leaders traditional leaders to you know put the message forward. And there were even periods where communities had to be quarantined. An entire community would be quarantined because, you know, that of uh, a suspected case, if they had about three, uh, a report of a case or two, they would quarantine the entire community. And so it, it was really a difficult time. We had a lot of tension going on during that period where people thought we would go back to war because it was you would, you would stop an entire community from moving and you're infringing on their rights, you know, rights to a certain extent. So it was really hard, but people wanted to survive. Mm. So we had to adhere to all of those measures. Well, it just shows the strength of, of, of when a community comes together and, and, and believes in their country, you know, I mean, throughout the whole, the whole process and, and when it was happening and the whole world was looking at you, um, your posts and, and, and a lot of your other friends, as I said, were incredibly, incredibly positive, you know, and, and I think it was those prayers and that strength that really, that really got you through. And as you said, that you didn't turn back to warfare. Cause I mean, that, that, that is, that would be, um, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't, for want of a better word, wouldn't be a perfect example, but I mean, all the doors were open for that type of friction to, 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 to arise. So I take my hat off to you and I salute you for, for taking a stand and, and for being strong and believing in your country. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rosie. Nigeria is, is all we have, you know, so we have to, you know, as much as we have a lot of lows, we also have a lot of highs, and we, those of us who are young and passionate, we just have to continue believing in the country mm. and trying out and keep on trying our best to change the image. I'm very passionate about changing the image of Liberia within the international community. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break um, and we're going to listen to a song, one of my favorite Liberian artists, and the song's called It's My Life. And then after the break, let's let's talk about the stuff that you're doing across the continent, um, the International uh, Day of the Girl Child, your amazing trip that you made to the USA, um, and then picking up on on what's going to be happening for Patrice in the future. This is CliffCentral.com. iStore employs real people who love Apple products and sell Apple products, like the Apple iPhone 6 and the Apple iPhone 6 Plus. So if you're looking to upgrade and going somewhere that doesn't specialize in Apple seems silly, it's because it is. Especially since you can take out or upgrade any contract on any network at iStore even if you took it out somewhere else. iStore, 
Why would you go anywhere else? Visit myistore.co.za for more info. T's and C's apply. Pan-African Connect on cliffcentral.com Welcome back to the show. My name is Rosie Mutena, a.k.a. the Afro-Yiddish Princess. Welcome to my show called Pan-African Connect, where we connect you to all four corners of our beautiful continent. Today we are speaking to Patrice Joie, who is a poet, an entrepreneur, an activist, powerhouse woman from Monrovia, uh, Liberia. And we've been talking about a lot of her struggles, a lot of her challenges, especially during the, the terrible Ebola epidemic. But what's so amazing about this phenomenal woman is that whatever's been thrown at her, she's turned it into something very, very positive. When the whole world was turning around and looking and looking at Liberians and putting it into a negative life, her and other individuals were on the ground changing the face of what it means to be a Liberian, instilling that, 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 that level of power. Um, Patrice, welcome back to the show, my darling. Thank you. I'm having so much fun. <laughs> Good. So now uh, you are incredibly busy. I mean, I just, I'd love to know when you actually get a bit of rest. But I hear that you're the, this year's national speaker for the Inter- International Day of the Girl Child. What's that about? Uh, the International Day of the Girl Child uh, was uh, turned into an, uh, uh, an international holiday by the UN, was declared um, by the UN in 2013. And that's the day where we celebrate the triumphs of girls across the world, mm. and we also highlight some of their struggles and the way forward. So this year's international theme is the power of the adolescent girl, vision for 2030, and our national theme is ensuring quality education for girls empowerment. Mm-hmm. So um, I was selected as the speaker this year, and I'm really excited, and it just falls in line with my work and, and my passion for yeah. girls and girls' education, so it's right up my alley. Absolutely, and, and, and the thing is, when you, when you live and you work through something passionate, it can only invoke even more positivity. That's true, that's true. And that's you also, true. you also so sit so up... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Carry on, sorry, you, also, you, you have so many stories... Yes, I was saying that I have a lot of stories to share about my experiences with girls across the country. So uh, that day will be a great uh, opportunity to tell the rest of the country some of the struggles and some of the, the positive uh, positivities that are coming out of uh, young girls across the country, some of the things that they're doing, some of the victories and some of their problems. Girls in Liberia are very strong. They, they they have all of these obstacles to obtaining education. They are faced with gender-based, uh, with sexual violence, and but they are still trying to rise above those circumstances. Mm. And in terms of the gender-based violence and, and violence against uh, against the girl, child, and women, uh, what 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 are are, are you your, does your government support it? Do you have a lot of policies in place that are trying to eradicate that, or is it is it is it one of those situations where it's still a blanket? A, 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 a basically, people aren't really talking about it, and and you you're dealing with a lot of those issues on the ground. Oh no, it's, it's, it's actually with all of the challenges that the government has had, and all of the. All of the other obstacles that they're faced with, they've really been able to put their foot down when it comes to violence against women. Uh, The president takes rape very seriously. And people who rape or abuse women, uh, um, they are always brought to justice. So so, so that's so positive to hear. 
because one of one of our biggest problems yeah. on the continent is that our justice system is the one that that fails us as women and 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 you you you're saying that that it, it's taken as a very very serious crime that is amazing to hear Yes, we still have a long way to go with it, but since uh, Madame Sully's ascendancy to the presidency, she's actually uh, made rape, you know, into something that people feel free to talk about, Mm -hmm. you know, because in the past it was always handled and discussed the family way. They would always say, oh, be that thing and let us discuss it the family way. Let us, you know, talk it as a family. If somebody in your family harassed a little girl or abused a little girl, they wouldn't want you to bring shame to the family. They would want you to take it, you know, behind the scenes and discuss it there and just sweep it under the rug. Mm. But see, her government has really taken a stand against that. So that's one of the success stories of her government. Well, that is great to hear. Great, great, great to hear. And may, may that example be spread to other, to other areas across Africa where uh, rape isn't seen as a crime in certain instances. But I mean, that, that, that's a different show altogether. But now let's, let's move on to the African Creative Economic Conference because you sit on the advisory committee for that. What does that involve? The African Creative Economy Conference, uh, was, uh, it, it, it was, it, it, uh, it was launched by, I- Ateria Network. Mm-hmm. The Secretariat is based in Cape Town, South Africa. And Ateria Network is a network of 10 African artists, creatives, uh, and um, policy makers who are interested in, in, in advancing the creative sector. We come together and we share ideas on how to move the sector forward. Mm-hmm. So last year, it, the, it was launched about five years ago, and this year I was selected to serve on the advisory committee, being a young woman, and earlier this year I was one of the new faces, new female faces of the African economy. I was featured as one of the emerging faces, female faces of the African creative economy, so they wanted a different uh, perspective from a young woman and a young African creative. Beautiful. So and and in terms of the rest of the in terms of the rest of, of the council, is it predominantly women, or is it, is, is it, is it a mix-up of also men who, who, who sit in the advisory council? You have men and women, but I think I'm one of the youngest on yeah. the committee. Congratulations. Well, you, you, you just continue Thank to you. excel and excel and excel. Now, um, one of the, one of the <laughs> major other big um, turning points in your life was that when you were selected out of 50,000 applicants um, as one of the 500 young and innovative Africans to participate in President Obama's Young African Leadership Initiative. Tell us about that. Well, President Obama launched the Young African Leaders Initiative in 2010, and the goal was to... Um, Scout the next generation of young of leaders for the to steer the future of the continent. So last year he launched the Mandela, the Washington Fellowship for Young African Leaders, mm-hmm. and there were fifty thousand applicants, as you rightly stated, from all across the continent, and five hundred were selected. So when we went, we all were invited to the U.S. where we did our academic uh, residencies at various U.S. institutions. Mm-hmm. And then we were all flown to Washington, D.C., where we met President Obama and interacted with other young Africans from all across the continent. We met congressmen from all over the the U.S. And while we were at the presidential summit, the name of the fellowship was changed into the Mandela Washington Fellowship 
for young African leaders to honor the impeccable legacy of uh, Madiba. Wow. So it was the Washington Fellowship for Young African Leaders, and then it was changed by President Obama to the Mandela Washington Fellowship for Young African Leaders mm. in the spirit of Ubuntu. <laughs> so of we, we are very passionate about our, yeah, the fellowship. It, it's a great way to connect young leaders from across the continent, and it's a big network. We all stay together. We're all social innovators. We work on different projects with water, sanitation, with uh, um, businesses. You have three tracks in the program. You have the civic leadership track, you have the public management track, and you have the business and entrepreneurship track. So this year, 500 of them went. It started last year. We have 500 last year. 500 this year, and the program is expanding to 1,000 young African leaders for 2016. Wow. So it was a great experience. And what what were the challenges that they've put? Continue, continue, sorry. I said I feel that that's one of the biggest gifts and one of the best gifts President Obama has given to Africa to invest in such a, a major way in the young people of Africa. Absolutely because it's 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 not only given them a wonderful platform to to, to an, an exposure but it's also hearing from the ground and from the mouths of people who are actually on the ground saying, okay, well, these are our challenges and so forth, you know. Um, I think that's, that's incredibly yes. forward thinking. But what were some of the challenges from the other regions? Yeah, there were, there were participants from all across. It was sub-Saharan Africa. Mm-hmm. So we had we had South Africans there, we had Nigerians, we had Ghanaians, we had we had people from all over Sub Saharan Africa. Yeah. But we had fifteen fellows from Liberia and I was one of the fifteen mm. fellows like from Liberia. And where we, I mean, you're obviously going to be um, the, what you've learned with 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 the, with that exposure and with that experience. How are you going to adapt to to life in Liberia and what what Patricia was going to be doing in the next decade? So before entering the, the fellowship, we were all asked to submit an essential question. And that question would be, what would guide you through the program? It was for six weeks. We we're all in the U.S. for six, seven weeks, actually. But we we're at our various institutions for uh, six weeks. So I was sent to New, New England at Dartmouth College in New England, where we went to a rigorous period of training in design thinking, um, um, social entrepreneurship, and so many other, you know, programs that just had us on our toes. <laughs> so after that training, especially the design thinking, the design thinking methodology really stood out for me as a creative, you know, being so, you know, most times creatives are regarded as unstructured people where you have all of these <laughs> different things going on. <laughs> Yes, you have all of these different projects going on at the same time. So the design thinking methodology actually has helped me in my work. And uh, before going into the program, we were asked to submit an essential question. And that question is, it would be a question at the beginning of the program that you wouldn't be able to answer right away. Mm. So my question was, how do I put all of these creative, uh, all of my talents and all of these creative uh, projects that I'm involved with, how do I put them together towards a central purpose? 
that actually gives back to the community and empowers young women. And after the program, going through that design thinking methodology, I was able to find an answer to that particular question. And it has helped me to approach everything that I do in a very structured manner. Mm-hmm. And it, it has helped me to... It has helped give me a lot of inspiration also looking at you know, other young people from across the continent and looking at what they are doing with limited resources and how they're able to impact their community. Yeah. When I look at, when I look for inspiration, I don't look far. I don't look at Europe. I don't look at the U.S. I'm very pan-African, you know. I look at other African countries. I look at Ghana. I look at South Africa. I look at Nigeria. Yes, we are inspired by Europe. We are inspired by America. But it's good to look at what we are able to do on our continent, how we are able to impact one another, and how we are able to, to push that message out there that our story is changing, you know. So... Mm. It was a beautiful experience. And all of us that participated in the fellowship, we are still in touch. Mm-hmm. And some of us are even collaborating on projects together. Oh, wow. Because that, that was going to be my next question was that, you know, it's, 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 I, I, what you just said to me was actually brought goosebumps because for so long, especially artists and especially people within our genre are always looking to America or looking to the West to find that level of inspiration. And it's actually here. It's been here all along, but we just we didn't know how to, to, to find it and to believe in it. So it's really great that, that you're pushing that forward, especially from a young perspective. But um, in terms of the collaborations, I mean, what, what type of collaborations, if you had a wish list, what type of collaborations would you like to, 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 to get into with, um, on the Pan-African uh, market? Well, in terms of my uh, with my business, I have several other uh, other uh, I have several designers that I've met over the past year and over the past years that I'm interested in working with designers that for the business like designers that promote ethnic fashion and ethnic luxury. Mm. So I met a few of them during the fellowship, and I met a few of them in Paris, and we are looking to work together. And I have uh, a friend in South Africa as well who do work with girls' education. So we are actually working to create some sort of collaboration where we bring girls from South Africa to Liberia for exchange programs where they interact with students here. And we take students from Liberia to South Africa to get the South African experience and learn also about their culture, the South African culture and way of life. Mm-hmm. And we intend to do that all across the continent with time. So mainly, you know, with my business and all of the girls' education initiatives. And also uh, the myth, okay, I'm, I'm sure you're going to ask me about that further on. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are so, so many things around girls' education and entrepreneurship and there are so many other plans in the works of yeah. collaboration. But, but, but yeah, ma- you, you were going to mention something. Continue. I was going to talk about the miseducation, but I'm sure you have that. <laughs> yeah. let's, let's, go straight, let's go straight into that. <laughs> Because that's, that's incredibly important. And that, that is something that, you know, I think, I think it's, it's not, it's not only, um, uh, a Liberian issue. It's a Pan-African issue. And, and it's something that we could create some form of synergy between three or four different governments, whether it's East, West, Southern or Central Africa. But, 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 uh, let, uh, let's tell the listeners a little bit more about, about the, the actual program. The Miseducation Program, I launched it in 2007 when I won the title. Uh, in 2006, as I said, girls' education was my, uh, my 
project I was working on girls' education during my year. So I launched the Miss Education pageant uh, to inspire girls to go to school and stay in school and strive to achieve higher education. So we hosted it, and um, last year, fortunately for us, it was acknowledged by First Lady Michelle Obama. Mm-hmm. So uh, since it was uh, since last year, we've gotten we already have we had plans to take it to, to make it into a Pan African initiative. But with First Lady Michelle Obama's recognition of the initiative, we have we've had a lot of interest in it from across the continent. So we're working on making it a Pan African pageant. So we have Miss Education. Ghana, Miss Education Uganda, Miss Education South Africa, mm-hmm. Miss Education Senegal, and so forth. Beautiful and and an acknowledgement from 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 Mrs. Obama. I think I think you're you're on the right footing there, girl. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I hope we can get more support for it. <laughs> yeah. Now you're incredibly incredibly busy. I mean, you you're traveling across the continent. You've been flown into countries, doing phenomenal phenomenal work. I mean, you are the change that 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 we need in this world. But does does Patrice have a personal life? Are we their children in the in the marks? Is there space for a lover in your life? <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a very difficult question, and I haven't really spoken about it publicly. <laughs> but um, yes, I <laughs> I'm very private, mm. but I I like I I love love, and I think love is a beautiful thing. Mm. And um, when you're younger, you know, you, you you tend to see it in a different way. We all have had our hearts broken mm-hmm. at some point. But love is a beautiful thing. And I'm very, I like my African men. I like African <laughs> men. I like my black men. <laughs> yes. But for now, you know, I'm, just, I'm waiting for the right one, the right one to come. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love love. Yeah, I love love. No, I yeah. hear you, and, and, mm-hmm. and because you're so passionate, you're so passionate about everything else that you do. Um, you know what I mean? When the time is right, God will create will create that 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 situation where you'll you'll, you'll meet your soulmate. No doubt about that. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and and your writing, are you you you? I'm going to move away because I know you don't like talking about your personal life. So that's the last personal question. The question I'm going to ask you, but we haven't really we, we haven't really touched on on your poetry. Um, where where do you get a lot of your inspiration from? Number one in your poetry, and is there space in the future for you to be writing a book about 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 the things that you've achieved in your lifetime? Yes, uh, I started writing when I was 10 years old, mm-hmm. and uh, at the age of 16, I became the youngest member of the Liberia Association of Writers. <laughs> wow. So uh, I won a poetry competition, and, and I became the youngest member of the Liberia Association of Writers at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I, it was because of my writing. My writing has actually opened a lot of doors for me. It was because of my writing that I won the Miss Liberia pageant. My challenge was a poem that I wrote and performed mm-hmm. during the, the pageant. So it was because of that that I won. And even at Miss World, I when I participated in Miss World in Warsaw, Poland in 2006, mm-hmm. I ranked amongst the top 10 finalists in the Miss World Talent Competition because of another poem that I wrote. And last year, I also wrote a poem in honor of President Obama. And he wrote me a letter and acknowledged 
the poem, so I was very excited about that. Oh, wow. I write from time to yeah, <laughs> I write from time to time for the Liberian Observer, which is the oldest Liberian daily. Mm-hmm. And I have plans to write to write several books, amongst them children's books and uh, a poetry book and a pageant book to help other young girls who are interested in participating in pageants yeah. so that they're not so lost, so that they learn about what the experience is all about. And in my personal story... Growing up as a young, you know, very little, when the Liberian Civil War started, I was very little. So the the Liberia before the war, I didn't get to see it. Mm-hmm. I was really little. So everything that, you know, we had those days before the war in Liberia now, people refer to those days as normal days. Yeah. Normal days. So you always hear the older folks talking about it so passionately, and they're always sharing beautiful experiences and stories about when, you know, President Topman was in power, President Talbert. You always hear about those glorious days, but mm-hmm. we didn't get to see it. So it really hurts me. So I have a lot of stories about my experiences growing up during the war, even, you know, going to school when people were firing bullets and walking to school on a bullet, you know, and still being determined to graduate from high school, go on to college, and still fight to make something out of my life. Mm. Because a lot of young people gave up during those years. You had a lot of young women and people that just, you know, decided that they just gave up. You know, they, they didn't want to do. They were inspired to move forward. But I have so many stories to tell, and yeah. hopefully I can write some books and share those stories. But, but, but you see that you've just hit on you've you've hit on such an important note and and I think um a lot of people and for me for one who's never who wasn't brought up in in a war zone country um you know although I was uh, we were part of apartheid and so forth but I was I lived a very very sheltered life and people take it for granted on yeah. on the psychological and emotional impact that it has on young children you know and and it's so sad when you yeah. say well people gave gave up. How do you give up when you're so young? I mean, what kept you going? What what inspired you to become and, and, and to believe in, in your power? The thing about me is that I don't see my location as a limitation. I try to look beyond my location. Mm. So during those years when I was really little, um, we spent a part of my childhood growing up in Cote d'Ivoire. We ran away and were, we lived in uh, Cote d'Ivoire for about four to five years. So those were like the only peaceful years uh, in the last 10 years of peace in Liberia. So those five years in Cote d'Ivoire and the last 10 years of peace in Liberia have been like the most, the only peaceful years I've had in my entire life. Yeah. So um, living here during the war and, you know, seeing all of the things that I saw, I always read. That is why I promote education for girls and, you know, cultivate the spirit of reading amongst young people. Mm. Because when you when you read, you, it's like an escape for you. During those years, I read a lot and I used my books to escape the reality. Yeah. You know, I was always living in a book. Yeah, and, 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 and taking um, you to another yeah. world, and also it 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 also pushes out your your imagination as a child in terms of you know you're creating other figures in your life, yeah. you're creating another setting, which which and, and and at the end of the day, it's up to you whether it's going to be a positive one or a negative one. Yes, yes. So that's 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 what really happens. You know, I just have to find that courage mm. to just 
push forward and, and not look at the location. Like, I'm in Liberia, we are fighting war. Mm. And even today, people wonder, I have a lot of friends around the world who still ask me why I return to Liberia every time I travel. People always ask me, why are you going back to Liberia? The infrastructure is bad. You know, you have challenges after the war. Mm. Now you're, you have you've had to deal with Ebola. But I feel like this is where my purpose is. And I feel like this is where I can really make an impact. Mm. And, and I just feel like wherever you are in the world and in Africa, if you can believe in yourself and don't look at your location. You can look beyond your location, look beyond your circumstance, and, and you, you will succeed. And align yourself with positive people like yeah. you. I'm very happy that we met. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was destined. We were destined to. <laughs> Two, two crazy <laughs> activists from Africa we met somewhere in West Africa. It was powerful. <laughs> I could speak yes. to you the whole day, my darling. I just want to once again salute Thank everything you. that you've done. Continue. I know at times it's it's challenging and, and, and that you think, well, why am I doing it? There's a reason behind all the, all the madness. Um, what you've been doing, promoting Liberia and what you're doing for the girl child in Africa is phenomenal. And once again, I salute you and we look forward to watching you and seeing what other amazing stuff that, that, that you can, um, that you're going to be creating for the world to see. Uh, for our listeners, if you want to know a bit more about uh, Patrice, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a copy of her poem that she spoke about earlier on and I'm going to put it on my Facebook page because it's incredibly powerful. Um, of course, she's on Twitter, she's on Instagram, she's on Facebook. If you need any more information, contact me Prince, on Twitter. I'm Princess RTM and, of course, Rosie Mathen on Facebook and Instagram. Patrice, um, one but word of advice to, to, to young girls who, who, want, who want to make it, who want to be you in the world. What, what, what can you tell them? For young girls uh, who want to make it, align your be be hungry, be hungry to succeed, be eager and be willing to learn. And I, like I said earlier, never look at your location as a limitation. I'm sitting right here in Liberia, in this tiny country in West Africa, but I have big dreams, and I'm thinking continentally and globally. So never limit yourself to your location. You're you're more than your circumstances, and you're more than your location. Beautiful, Thank beautiful. You. Thank you so much. God bless you, my darling. We will chat soon. Thank you so much for having me. Chris Central, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you to all the listeners who tuned Bye. into the show. Um, of course, next week we'll be back. Next week we're probably going to be going to East Africa. I know I did say that we're going to be going to East Africa, but special guest that I wanted to interview wasn't around. She's actually was in New York, so we're going to hear all about that amazing trip. But please tune in next week, 3 to 4. I'm Princess RTM on Twitter, Rosie Mudden on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening, and we're going to play out with another Liberian artist called Yemi Alade. Pan-African Connect on cliffcentral.com.